You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. It's been quite a long time since I uploaded an episode, so I've got loads of uh, news to kind of tell you about, lots of various things to catch up on. Um, And so in this episode, I'm going to give you some general news about various things, including what I've been up to, where I've been. I've sort of disappeared for a while, but I have been busy. I've been doing stuff. So I'm going to tell you kind of what I've been up to, um, what's been going on, and all that kind of thing, including stuff like uh, the Olympics, what's been going on with the Olympics there in East London. Um, uh, Let's see, sort of my holiday in Barcelona, which I went on for a while. Some of my experiences doing things like trying to learn French at the moment. Um, A gig which I did uh, recently in front of about 100 learners of English in central London. Um, And stuff like the Batman movie, which I saw. I want to just talk about that for a a little bit and maybe a few other movies and stuff. Um, So various bits of news for me to tell you about. I should say in this episode that uh, you join me here, uh, not in the living room as usual, but I'm in the other room because my flat is an absolute tip. It's a complete mess uh, because I'm having my kitchen done. I think in a few episodes, a few episodes ago, I, I mentioned the fact that I was having my kitchen uh, done. So that's being sort of carried out right now, which means that the everything that was in my kitchen is now in my living room, and um, I had to have the entire kitchen ripped out uh, and thrown away, and then uh, they brought in completely new units. A solid oak wooden top to go around the kitchen, um, storage spaces, uh, a cooker, and loads of other things. And it's all had to go in there, and it's very complicated. So my living room is completely full of IKEA boxes and various other things. And so I can't sit in there. So I've basically had to spend the last week or so just here in my bedroom. Um, so my, my bed is now like my sofa. This is like my office and my sofa, and my living room, and my kitchen, and also my bed all at the same time. So I'm doing everything from the, from the bed uh, these days. So I've decided you could call this episode like In Bed With Luke, you know, if you wanted to. I think that may be, that may be quite a good title for the episode, in fact. Uh, in Bed With Luke. But I'm, I'm not exactly in bed. It's not like I'm, I've got the sheets over me and I'm lying down, you know, with my head on the pillow. So I'm not exactly in bed. I'm more kind of on the bed. So I could call it on bed with with Luke, but that obviously that's that's ridiculous because on bed isn't isn't correct. That's not an expression. It's not English. So on bed with Luke. I mean, you know, I don't know. Like a monkey might have come up with a title like that. But if but for a person, you would have to probably call it in bed with Luke because of course it makes you think of you know there was a, a Madonna movie, quite a controversial Madonna film, and it was called In Bed with Madonna. Right, so and everyone wanted to see it because they all wanted to be in bed with Madonna, right? But um, rather than in bed with Madonna, this this um, situation for me is a bit more like in bed with my dinner, you know, because I'm basically living out of my bed at the moment. Um, so in be- let's call it in bed with Luke. I think that's that's going to be quite fun. Uh, so the kitchen, yes, it's taking over my whole flat, but it's looking good. It's looking pretty good. But my God, has it been complicated? Lots of things like they, IKEA forgot to send certain things with the order. They sent the wrong things. Uh, some things were missing, so I had to kind of reorder them. Uh, lots of complex things. I had to go to IKEA, my local IKEA, which is in Wembley, 
um, several times over the last few months, and I just can't stand going to that place anymore. Not that IKEA is a bad shop. I quite like it, really. It's, you know, I buy my stuff from there. But the journey from my flat to uh, IKEA in Wembley is horrible because, weirdly enough, IKEA Wembley is in northwest London. I'm in west London. So, you know, you'd think I could just go north, but I don't have a car. Um, so I have to take the underground. And the ridiculous thing is that there isn't an underground line that connects me and uh, Wembley. So what I have to do is I go take the district line all the way into London, all the way to Westminster, where Big Ben is, change onto the Jubilee line and go uh, north. You can probably hear police sirens outside because I've got the window open because, you know, it's quite warm being summer and all that kind of thing. Even in England, even in England, it's warm sometimes in, the, in uh, summer. And every now and then you do glimpse... A little a bit of sun or, or blue sky. I'm kidding, of course, because we do have quite good weather, uh, you know, sometimes. But, yeah, it's grey. It's grey at the moment, but it's warm. Warm enough to have the window open, which is why you might hear police sirens, because this is London, you know. It's, this is um, a big city with uh, seven million people, and uh, some of those people will be criminals. Uh, but luckily we've got the police force, Her Majesty's police, to um, protect the streets... You know, um, I, I often wonder if um, in London there, there might even be a, some sort of superhero uh, scene somewhere in London, you know? Like, um, maybe there's some secret superhero dudes. I wonder what they would be like, English superheroes. You know, you can imagine one might be sort of like Mr Bean. Okay, so it's like, it's Mr Bean in normal life. So it's like, oh, hello, you know, miss, I'm Mr. Bean walking around. And then at night he becomes, I don't know, what, what would he be? Bean Man? B Bean Man. Okay, let's call him Bean Man. And Bean Man is basically uh, like, uh, what happened was he, he ate too many, too many jelly beans. He like went to the sweet shop and he just ate loads and loads of jelly beans. And he ate so many jelly beans that the jelly bean... Um, DNA fused with uh, Mr. Bean's DNA and he became Bean Man. And um, what Bean Man does is when he sort of um, eats enough jelly beans, he goes, Poof! he kind of becomes just a bean, you know, those sort of sweet uh, jelly beans. He just becomes one of them big. And uh, it doesn't really, I mean, he, he doesn't really have any special powers beyond just being a large bean. Um, but what, he, you know, what he can do is take people by surprise. Um, so, you know, let's say some bank robbers have just stolen loads of money from the bank and they're running away. Suddenly, Bean Man arrives. It's just a bean, a big human-sized bean on the street in front of them. They're like, what the hell? What, what is this? And while they are all confused, then the police can arrest them. So that would be Mr. Bean's uh, superhero, which is, I'm sure you'll agree, completely ridiculous. Anyway, I'm going to come back to the superhero thing a little bit later on in this episode when I talk about Batman, because um, I went to see the Batman film recently, so I'm going to talk about that a bit. Uh, let's see. So let's go back uh, sort of a few weeks or so. Um, I'm not sure when, I think it was in May. I was in France with my colleague Andy Johnson from London School of English, and um, we were there to do uh, a talk at the BSIG conference. So uh, I don't know if you're aware of, the, of an organisation called IATEFL. Uh, well, they are basically the sort of... Um, they are responsible for uh, English teaching in the world, and they have um, something called the BSIG um, um, Summer Symposium. 
um, and that's basically the Business English Special Interest Group, which is a kind of group of, of teachers and professionals from, uh, you know, teaching English in Europe, and they get together uh, regularly in order to share ideas and to um, kind of give news and that sort of thing. So Andy and I went to the BSIG uh, Symposium in Paris, uh, and we were there to give a talk on some lesson materials that we had written. Now, as well as, you know, obviously being a, a language teacher and uh, being a podcaster as, and all that kind of thing, I also do lots of other things related to teaching English, including uh, writing. I write uh, lots of lesson materials, and I regularly test them out, and I've got, like, a, a, a bank of, I don't know, hundreds of, of, of lessons which I can use and I regularly use them with my classes and I, I love to write material so Andy also is a very prolific uh, writer and so we decided that we would go uh, give a talk on some material that we'd written for uh, the London School of English. They have a course at London School of English called Young Business English and um, it's for kind of young professionals who don't have quite as much experience as the older executives who, who come on the other business course. So they needed a kind of uh, set of material which would kind of cater for the fact that they don't have as much experience, right? So it involved a lot more in-depth case study work, uh, lots and lots of context, and kind of lessons that had stories that would last for a few days, right? So uh, we decided that um, we would use a program called Prezi, which is an alternative to um, PowerPoint on your computer. So Prezi is, is really cool. It allows you to make a, a presentation by arranging the slides as if you're putting them down on a table top and then you you basically choose the order in which you sh show those slides in close-up and then when you're ready to go you press play and it sort of zooms in and out of different places on this kind of tabletop and uh, it looks really cool um, some people say it makes them feel a bit seasick but um, generally the responses that we had to using it were that it looked really cool so we gave our talk it went well uh, the presentation looked cool, and uh, it was all good. And so we met lots of people there at the um, at the symposium, and sort of made a few contacts and things like that. And David Crystal, Professor David Crystal, was there to give the kind of closing talk, which was all about language and the internet, and uh, whether or not uh, the internet is having a negative impact on language. And the answer is really we, we're not really sure yet at this stage. But he certainly argued against certain kind of knee-jerk reactions to the use of language on the internet. The sort of, uh, you know, reactionary points of view which say, you know, that the internet's killing language and that people don't write correctly anymore and people use too many abbreviations. Well, according to David Crystal, who is kind of an authority on this subject, he's one of the world's top linguists and he's kind of the person you go to if you have any questions about language. Um, he says that um, these abbreviations and things are not really anything new and people have been doing them for years, you know, what they were doing them when writing letters and things like that, so there's no real evidence that's going to destroy the language. So we'll have to just wait and see what happens uh, with the internet and English. I mean, I, I believe personally that, uh, that the internet allows people to connect with English a lot more. And, um, and so, in a way, it encourages people to read. So maybe people are becoming even more literate through the internet. I think it's, you know, certainly things like YouTube or even Luke's English podcast, if they are kind of going around the world and being consumed, 
then uh, surely people are kind of tuning into English a lot. I think certainly as an international language, the, in the internet really helps. It really helps people to, le uh, to learn English, just like the way you're doing right now, in fact. Um, <clears throat> so at the end of the um, symposium, they gave some awards, um, including an award for best presentation by a first-time speaker, and uh, Andy and I won the award, so we're really, really pleased and really proud uh, to have done that. Um, so uh, we, we were given our award certificates by David Crystal, and um, it was an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to him afterwards with a glass of champagne and just talk to him about various things, including Luke's English podcast. And he, he told me that he'd come and visit the site, which is great. So who knows, maybe he will even leave a comment. Uh, we'll see. Um, so, yeah, met David Crystal, which is kind of another thing ticked off the list of things to do before you die. Meet David Crystal and drink champagne with him. Um, other things have happened. I went to Barcelona for a little holiday, and that was great. I really, really liked it a lot, um, and you know, just saw a few things. Like one of the one of the things that uh, my girlfriend and I liked a lot was the the Boqueria market, which is this great market full of loads of stalls selling amazing kind of ham and uh, sausages and. Uh, um, chorizo and uh, fruit, like all this fresh fruit, that amazingly delicious, uh, uh, great uh, pineapple, just stunningly delicious fresh pineapple, and a couple of um, bars there, um, and I think one of them is called Bar Central, and we ate lunch there a couple of times, and they served this incredible seafood, like sort of grilled or fried seafood, absolutely delicious. Um, so, especially the squid, uh, octopus, absolutely fantastic. So we really enjoyed that. And so uh, we went and saw things like, you know, the Gaudi house, which I think is brilliant. You know, I love those chimneys that come out of the top and the way the whole thing is designed. It's so innovative and yet so pleasing and sort of full of life. I really, really liked it. Um, the Park, Park Guell as well with more Gaudi stuff there, and that's really great. I love all of the, um, the interiors like underneath the arches, they have these incredible mosaics on the ceiling. Really, really beautiful. Um, and saw a bit of the beach and um, generally had a really nice time. Sagrada Familia and um, uh, lots of other th great things in, in Barcelona, including uh, a movie by the side of the castle uh, one evening. Uh, they had a live band there in the grounds of the castle and then they projected a big movie on the screen and everyone sat there. It was like a music festival. People kind of camped out in front of the screen enjoying the film. It was really great with an amazing view of Barcelona below us. Really fantastic. Um, and uh, what else? Well, uh, also I did a gig. Um, that's a, obviously a live concert, a, a comedy gig recently. Um, with a couple of guys I know who are comedians who are also English language teachers. So these two guys, um, one of them is called Sa uh, Xavier uh, Fernandez and the other one's called Gary um, Ogim. These two guys are both English language teachers uh, who also write and perform stand-up comedy. Um, and uh, somehow they managed to find me. I think that Zave uh, saw me perform uh, in Piccadilly Circus one day and he decided that my act would be appropriate for this new night that him and Gary were planning. And it was called English Comedy For You. And the idea is that um, 
I mean, most stand-up comedy is not uh, really aimed at learners of English. It's aimed at native speakers. And so it's really difficult for native speakers to understand it, you know. And yet they're, they're missing out on a kind of really great, authentic English experience, which is everyone gathered round listening to uh, a comedian talk and make you laugh. I mean, it's just one of the most fun, most satisfying ways that you can kind of connect with English. Um, and because, uh, you know, really the aim is that you understand that you find it funny. And if you find it funny, you're getting it, you know, you're really getting it right. But if you, if you don't really find it funny, maybe it's because that material isn't particularly funny for you. Or maybe there, there's something you might not understand. So it makes it kind of difficult for learners of English to enjoy stand-up comedy. But um, we know that there is a big audience for stand-up comedy for learners of English because all over London there are language schools everywhere, you know, these language schools like the one I work for, and they attract lots and lots of people every, you know, every summer in particular. So it's a great opportunity to um, arrange a comedy night in which the performers are kind of used to speaking to learners of English. And so Zave and Gary found a bunch of uh, comedians who were appropriate, including me, because obviously I do English uh, language teaching and I do Luke's English podcast and I do stand-up comedy too so they thought I'd be appropriate so um, came to the night of the gig and um, I, I went there and I helped them to set up the room and it was kind of quite a big room with lots of seats and it's, it seemed that it was going to be a really great evening we had like a, a good microphone and the, the setup was nice and then people started to arrive and more people arrived and more people arrived and more and more people arrived until the room was absolutely packed and no one else could actually get in. Uh, all the seats were taken and people were standing up. There was no available space at all. So this is a room packed with about 100 learners of English, all there with their drinks, uh, waiting to be sort of entertained for the evening. Now, I imagine that most of those people didn't really know what a stand-up comedy gig is really like. You know, they, they didn't really know what to expect. They didn't know the rules. You know, the rules are that basically during the performance you don't talk, you just listen, and uh, hopefully you laugh, or you make other, other sounds which um, are appropriate, like, you know, for example, if the comedian asks you a question, like, how are you doing, you, the normal response is to go, yay, like that, you know? So either you go, yay, or you laugh, or you go, ooh, or you go, you know, these things which are kind of common responses. I expect all those learners of English didn't really know what was appropriate, you know? Um, and the gig started and, and Zave was uh, the MC and it was just like, it seemed crazy because we had people sitting down behind the stage and in front of the stage. So it was 360 degrees, people all around, uh, totally packed. And so Zave started the show and he's quite aggressive actually. He was like, you know, make some noise, you know, like really aggressive and really loud. So I think everyone was quite stunned at the beginning and they didn't really know what the correct way to respond was. And Zave kind of trained them a bit, but it was really sort of um, really full and really busy. And a lot of people were talking as well, you know, at the back and Zave was like telling them to shut up. And there was like some, some kind of trouble going on at the door because people couldn't get in. So there was a bit of shouting. And so I was sitting there really nervous because uh, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is going to be a disaster, this gig. Uh, the audience are just going to destroy the performers, you know. I thought they were 
everyone was just going to get the performers because they didn't understand the way it worked and they were hot and sort of angry and, you know, and sort of cheeky and stuff. Um, so the first guy came on and he was really good, uh, obviously a very good performer, and he did a good set. And then it was my turn. And I was nervous all the way up to the... All the way up to the point where I actually got up and started talking to the audience. And then, suddenly, I felt all right, because I knew, after I'd said maybe the first few things, I knew it was going to be all right, because I could feel that they understood what I was talking about, and they were on the same kind of wavelength as me. So that was good. And I kind of, I picked a couple of, you know, slightly crap jokes to tell. You know, for example, like, hi, I'm Luke. I'm from London. I was born here. Well, not here, obviously, in the pub. Uh, I mean, in London, you know, that kind of thing. So I started off with those, a few of those kinds of jokes. And that, it went down well. And in, in the end, I had a really good gig. And I, I sort of, it was really fun having people all the way around the back and the sides and in front as well. So it was kind of fun to turn around and talk to different people. I got a little bit of audience interaction going on. Um, I did some of my material, did some stuff about the Olympics, which was uh, good, and I think people enjoyed it. And so I felt really good afterwards. I had a really good gig. And then um, that evening, a guy, um, I bumped into a guy um, in, at the door to the pub, and he said, oh, are you, are you Luke from Luke's English Podcast? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And I said, did you just see me do comedy downstairs? And he said, no, I didn't. I just I came to see a friend, but I heard your voice, and I recognized you as Luke from Luke's English Podcast. So this guy didn't know I was going to be in this pub, didn't see me perform, but... Um, he recognised my voice. So, my God, is my voice starting to get famous? I don't know. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty strange. But, um, but good. And a, a good gig. And luckily for me, one of my students was in the audience. And she very generously... Uh, she recorded the uh, performance. And so, generously, she managed to get a copy of that performance to me. So, what I think I'll do is add that to the end of this episode. So if you, listen, if you keep listening, you can um, then listen to uh, my stand-up comedy performance at uh, English Comedy For You recently. So check that out. That's coming up later. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Um, other things? Other things like... Um, um, okay, yeah, recently I had... Uh, my comedy friends Moz, uh, Paul and Alex over to my flat on a Friday uh, evening recently and uh, we were sort of having a laugh and having fun and everything and we decided to record a podcast episode in which we would just kind of mess around and play some comedy games. Now that, it was a typical Friday evening in um, and um, so that, you know, usually involves a few beers and stuff as well, right? So... Um, what happens is I'm, I, I did record an episode about 25 minutes or so, um, but um, I'm not sure if I should upload it or not. So I want to ask you a question. Should I upload this latest episode with Alex, Paul, Moz um, and me? Uh, because I'm, the reason I'm worried is because, uh, you know, uh, we drank a few beers, uh, particularly um, Moz. He drank few you know a few more than the rest of us so by the end of the episode he's like he's clearly a little bit drunk now now i'm not you know particularly worried about that in particular because it's just normal for a friday evening um you know for you when your friends are at your place to like have a few beers and get a bit drunk that's quite normal in london um but i'm, I'm wondering if it's a good idea to put it onto the uh podcast just because you know i'm, I'm i don't i'm very kind of um aware of 
not doing anything inappropriate. I mean, saying that, saying that I did, uh, I guess, not so long ago, publish an episode in which I taught you every single swear word that I could think of, including the rudest words in the English language. Maybe that was a bit inappropriate. I don't know. It seemed to go down quite well, that episode. I don't know if you know the episode I'm talking about. It was, I don't know, a few episodes ago. Um, and uh, I sat down with my brother and we decided that we would teach you all the swear words in British English and go from the sort of least offensive all the way up to the most offensive words that you shouldn't really use. Um, and, you know, I thought, shall I, shall I publish this or not? And then I decided that I would basically give about a 15-minute disclaimer at the beginning, saying, if you're offended, don't listen to this, so that people didn't have any excuse, you know, so that they, they couldn't really be offended because it would have been their choice. So maybe because I uploaded that episode a while ago, maybe I could do the um, episode when Moz is a little bit drunk. Um, I just don't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to annoy anyone or I wouldn't want to do anything that's deemed inappropriate. Uh, so I'm leaving it up to you. Please leave a comment on this episode and tell me what you think. Shall I upload the episode in which we're all a little bit drunk and Moz in particular is quite drunk? Um, should I upload that episode or not? Uh, just let me know. Leave a comment on this episode and just tell me what you think. Um, okay, so what else? The Olympics. That's right, the Olympics. It's, it's really happening. It's actually happening in London. Um, you know, the years before this actually happened, everyone in London was kind of thinking, oh my God, is this a huge mistake? Are we not in a recession? Um, and everyone was worried about the cost and the expense and people concerned that it wasn't going to be ready in time because we're... If we, we're reminded of uh, Wembley Stadium, which took, you know, ages to make and it wasn't ready and it took like, it was 10 years, something overdue, something ridiculous like that. So we're all scared that it was going to be like that. But miraculously, they managed to actually build the thing um, and it's all working. It's all working fine. Then, of course, before the Olympics, like the weeks running up to it, everyone was worried about delays, about getting caught in in massive traffic jams, um, in, you know, sort of the whole city just becoming completely clogged, the underground just grinding to a halt in the middle of some tunnel deep under the, the River Thames or something. Everyone just squeezed into underground trains, journeys lasting three or four hours just to, you know, it's like Moscow, basically. You know, it was, people were worried that it was going to become like driving in Moscow. Uh, that's just a joke for the Russian listeners out there because uh, I well you know a lot of my Russian students tell me that traffic in Moscow is a nightmare uh, and it takes me a long time so thankfully in London it's not that bad it's actually not that bad at all um, I went to the Olympics um, last weekend um, and I saw handball in the Olympic Park and I also saw fencing there in the um, Excel Center and it was great actually I mean I you know I think it's all right. I hope that it's not costing far too much money, but it seemed quiet, to be honest. In fact, London generally seems pretty quiet. Maybe it's because um, a lot of people who live here have decided to leave uh, during the Olympics. You know, a lot of people are on holiday. Maybe people have just got out of town to just escape the, the, crowd, the crowds of people. There are definitely more tourists in town. In fact, I was on Oxford Street on Friday evening, um, which was a big mistake. You should never go to Oxford Street in the evening. 
don't go there from say five o'clock to seven or eight o'clock it's just an absolute nightmare um, it, it really is it's like human traffic it's just like it's horrible I can't explain it just don't do it don't go to Oxford Street at rush hour it's just your worst nightmare um, so many people all squeezed in together like moving round uh, the corner of H&M um, unable to you can't walk properly in that in those conditions it's horrible but for some reason I had to be there I was I was running on an errand I had to do something so there I was on Oxford Street Friday evening walking down the street loads of tourists everywhere of course you know the tourists they come to London for the Olympics and when they're not watching the, Olymp the Olympics what do they do hey honey let's go to Oxford Street or, or you know some other kind of thing like that in fact one of the telephone conversations I overheard when I was in the crowd was an American guy on the telephone uh, and you know some of his American friends were there and he was talking to someone saying yeah we're uh, right now we're on uh, Oxshire Boulevard and like Oxshire Boulevard <laughs> what, what the hell's that um, I mean, you know, Americans often get, you know, London names wrong. That's fine. That's that's to be expected. You know, you get things like Piccadilly Square, Buckingham Palace, uh, Tottenham Court Road, um, Leicester Square, things like that. But Oxshire Boulevard, <laughs> Oxshire Boulevard. Um, I mean, it's like you just stick Shire on the end of whatever it is, and then just some other word for a street. Oxshire Boulevard. I mean, Boulevard isn't even English, that's French. So, I don't know where he got that idea from. So he said, here, yeah, I think we're on uh, Oxshire Boulevard. And one of his friends just said, Oxford Street. Um, so, you know, at least one of them knew where, where he was. I mean, I guess it's fair enough, because, you know, when I go to Paris, I don't really understand the signs that I'm reading. But then that's because it's French, right? It's a different language. I guess for the Americans, this is the thing that's so kind of funny about this, that the Americans come over here, and it's the same language, but they still get it wrong. What's going on, Americans? Um, and, you know, I don't mean to talk badly about Americans. I like Americans. You know, I like them. I like them a lot. I especially love doing the American accent. It's a lot of fun. Um, okay, so the Olympics is good. It's good to have lots of people from other countries here sort of mixing in with us. You know, you get to hear different languages being spoken all around the place. You can hear American people kind of speaking the American English thing. It's pretty awesome. Um, and um, so, let's see. Problems, talking about problems for the Olympics. Well, the cost, of course. Everyone was worried about the cost. I'm sure it's costing a lot. And it's kind of quiet. You know, when I was there at the Olympics, uh, you know, last week, it seemed pretty quiet. So I hope that, um, you know, they're making their money back on this. The transport's been okay, even though people were very worried about it. People were genuinely, generally worried about the general hassle of uh, the busyness, but it's not been that bad. Security, a lot of people concerned that there would be terrorist activities and things like that. Um, there were lots of stories in the paper about sort of terror cells and, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of the lone wolf terrorist. The lone wolf terrorist. This is a terrorist who operates on his own. Right, so he's not part of a terror cell. He's a lone wolf. Why call it a? Why call him a lone wolf? Why are they making it sound cool? This is not. This is not cool. He's a terrorist. He's, in fact, he's not really a terrorist. This is just a, a nutter with a gun. A lone wolf terrorist. When you think about it, really, anyone can be a lone wolf. 
all you need to do is just do something on your own and then you're a lone wolf, right? So when I, you know, I'm not buying uh, ready meals from Tesco's. I'm a lone wolf survivalist, you know? So anyway, there hasn't really been any threat of terror, but I'm touching wood now. The touch wood in English, if you touch wood, it means you're superstitious. You touch wood for good luck, so if you kind of tempt fate by saying, well, there hasn't been any terrorism so far, tempt fate, you have to kind of touch wood. So, touch wood, I hope there isn't any. Um, so, mm-hmm, and um, um, a lot of people have criticised the games for, for being very corporate. So you see all these big corporate sponsors everywhere. London Olympics, sponsored by McDonald's, official fast food restaurant of the Olympics 2012. You know, um, and that's ironic, isn't it? How can McDonald's and Coca-Cola sponsor the Olympics, you know? Um, something doesn't quite add up there. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, people are a bit annoyed by that. Um, let's see. It was a bit like... It was pretty cool, though, the Olympic um, Park. It was a bit like a festival. Lots of people milling around, like, interesting environment, going to go and see a show, you know, going to go and see some sport. Um, it was, you know, it was very well organised, very nicely done, but fairly quiet. Um... The uh, handball was was brilliant. Um, handball was amazing. Um, I mean, it's not a big sport here in England, in the UK. Um, in fact, our handball team is pretty bad because no one plays it in this country. But in other places, like France, for example, handball is really big. And it's, um, it's really, really great to see. It's very fast. It's like a cross between sort of basketball and football to an extent. They can run and bounce the ball, throw it very quickly. Uh, they can sort of dribble a little bit and they can jump and throw the ball into the goal. And it's really dynamic and it's very high scoring. Um, it's just a brilliant game. So um, I'm sure you know this already. I mean, it's like news to me in England that handball is great. But if you're listening to this, you probably enjoy handball already. Um, so, yeah, Olympics so far, pretty good. And Team GB, of course, the British team, are looking quite good there with um, third place at the moment. So I hope that they continue to win medals and uh, get, you know, third place in the Olympics. That would be a major success. And uh, the theme of the Olympics really is the idea of inspiring a generation. That's what they're calling it, inspiring a generation. And everyone's going on about the legacy of the Olympics. That's basically not just the Olympics itself, but what is it going to do to that area of London in the future? How is it going to help? And so they're saying things like the, the legacy of the Olympics will be the influence of all this victory, you know, in this community and whether people will be inspired and, and uh, it'll create some sort of positive attitude among people. A um, lot, pe lot more people are taking up sport, so it's giving young people a good, healthy set of role models, people they can kind of copy and aspire to. So that's the idea and, I, you know, I hope that it's, it's going to work. Um, I hope it really is a good thing for London in the end um, and that it's not just a big waste of money. Uh, so, so there you go, that's the Olympics at this stage. And in fact, while I was at the Olympics, I did record a few video interviews. You've probably watched my other videos before, the ones where I talk about um, 
and I talked to native speakers in the street and asked them questions and put them on YouTube. Well, I did a couple of those interviews at the Olympics, and I've uh, put the first one on YouTube tonight. Um, so you can see that um, on YouTube. You just go to my YouTube channel. So if you go into YouTube, just type in Luke's English Podcast and you'll find my channel. Uh, and you can go there and check out the videos, see the interviews with a few people. And there's a tape script for that as well. So, you know, I've been busy. I've been doing things. Uh, added a tape script to that video. So you can check that out online right now, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's see what else has been going on. I've been trying to learn some French. Because as you know, I'm going to France um, in September in, wow, just a few weeks now. So all this kitchen stuff and all, this, all these changes are being made so that I can rent out my flat um, and then use some of the rent to pay off my mortgage on the flat and, um, and then go to Paris and find work. And I've been sending CVs to people and contacting schools and people in Paris to find some work. If you are, by the way, uh, in Paris and you know of, of schools that are employing teachers, then, you know, do send me a message there. And I'm considering the idea of, um, well, I'm, I'm hoping to start doing some private tuition, uh, but I haven't decided on various things yet. So that's not an official statement uh, yet. So uh, I might be available for private tuition in Paris at some point, but that's not an official Luke's English podcast endorsed statement. Also, um, I'm considering the idea of uh, making myself available for lessons on Skype. So that would mean that you could, you know, pay me some money and then you get like a sort of one-to-one -one English lesson over Skype. Um, so that's in the pipeline at the moment. And yet again, as I said before, that's not an official statement. It's just something I'm thinking about. Um, and um, what else has been going on? So learning the French. So I'm, I'm attempting to sort of pick up some French. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very slow at this stage. I think it would be a good idea for me to do a, a separate podcast where I talk to my friends who are also learning French and we go through the whole experience and reflect on it. But in a nutshell, right now, I, I'm, I think I really empathize with learners of English a lot more now that I'm learning French again because it just makes me remember certain things. For example, I think, well, let's say two things, I think. No, three. Okay, three things. Uh, this isn't a joke. I'm not going to say four. Four things. Five. No, just three things. Um, first one is that I remember just how kind of weird and shy and nervous I uh, feel when I'm speaking another language. Um, somehow in Japanese it's a little bit easier, maybe because I lived there for two years. I don't speak Japanese well, by the way, at all. But um, I feel like somehow it's a little bit easier to adopt the Japanese attitude. And I, th I think that when you're learning a language, you do have to adopt the attitude of that language. And by the attitude, I mean things like the manner and the intonation and the body language that is associated with that language. So in Japan, for example, you might get a lot more... You know, um, the gestures are sort of slightly sharper, shorter. There's a lot more slightly bowing the head, less eye contact, um, breathing in, you know, intake of breath. That kind of thing, scratching the head, um, sort of turning to look at your shoulder. You know, I've, I notice that in Japanese people a lot when they're thinking. They kind of 
they turn their head and look at the shoulder, which is interesting. Um, so that kind of... And so when you're speaking Japanese, it's like... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know, I can't really speak very well anymore. Um... Ah, <laughs> I think when I speak, I speak with a slightly Yokohama kind of accent. Um, that's kind of like, um, I guess someone I might meet in a bar or something. You know, some, some kind of drunken Japanese guy. Uh, you know, anyway, anyway. Um, speaking French is, feels a bit more strange for me because I'm trying to pick up the kind of attitude of the French and it's different to that kind of uh, kind of Japanese thing uh, um, that kind of stuff um, that's very kind of mannered in Japanese it's almost like you're kind of bowing a lot when you say it and lifting your hand and stuff. Whereas French is a bit more... You know, like, a lot of kind of... A lot of that. So in Japan it's like... But in French it's more... Right? Now, uh, I hope if you're French or Japanese you're not offended by this. This is just me attempting to pick up the attitude and the manner in a way of this language so I can try and look, speak it more naturally. So in French there's a blah. I can't do it. It's that, that sound at the back of the throat is very difficult. Pas de problème. Bah oui, c'est pas de problème. It's quite difficult for me to get that sound at the back of my throat. Because English is very placed at the front. You know, the lots of uh, plosive sounds and your tongue is placed quite close to the front when you speak. That's how we get those th 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 kind of sounds, th that kind of thing. Whereas in French, it's, it's, it's slightly more at the back, you know. <clears throat> so it's quite difficult for me to, to get into that. Um, <clears throat> so that's the first thing. The second thing, I guess, is, um, let's see, what is it? Well, the rules just... You know, just speaking and knowing, like, just barely holding on to any semblance of there being rules to the language I'm using. I'm just trying to express myself. Now, I know um, I don't, I'm not having enough French lessons. In fact, I only have lessons like once every week, which is not enough. You know, you need to be learning a lot. And when I go to Paris, I intend to speak a lot more. And, like, living there will mean that, you know, I'll have to speak a lot more French. And that's great. That's the best way to learn. I think. Um, <clears throat> but in the lessons, yeah, the grammar, I just feel like I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about. When it took me a long enough, long enough time to understand English grammar, let alone a grammar of another language I don't know. And in English, you know, my knowledge of grammar is all based on my instinct, really. A lot of it, you know, I just read the rule and it says, uh, you know, a non-defining relative clause is used after when you have a comma in the sentence and it's used to add extra information like a pause and I kind of go uh, alright well I get the idea in theory and then I look at the example and it goes um, you know the the children who passed the exam uh, the children who passed the exam left the room you know and then I go alright oh, yeah sure I get it the children 
who passed the exam left the room right non-defining relative clause got it uh, but in French it's kind of all these different verb forms and weird things regarding um, uh, um, pronouns pronouns are pretty tricky so you like put a pronoun in front of the verb like a lot of verbs are transitive or intransitive so you kind of do a lot of things to yourself in French so I think it's like I remembered myself which is basically I reminded you know I was reminded or something like that lots of things being done to yourself and someone to you being done you know all that kind of thing which is a bit confusing and also other things like reflexive verbs which I don't know like um, are formed using the verb be rather than the verb have in the past tense um, I mean other things as well like in English um, you know present perfect I have uh, lived in you know London for 10 years um, is formed with have and in French the verb form with have is like past simple so it's kind of really weird there are things that don't really sort of translate across uh, but the vocabulary you know is is kind of key because a lot of it's quite similar to English vocab so you're just kind of speaking in vocab you know not really speaking in with grammatical structure you're just sort of spitting out bits of vocabulary and desperately trying to bring them together in some kind of syntax um, so my level is very low but I, I like to try the third thing is just that sense of confidence which is so important and it's the idea of the affective filter um, which is a sort of linguistics language acquisition idea I think which is that um, your acquisition of, uh, of another language is affected by a kind of filter uh, which um, might be if it's high it means you're kind of uh, not very comfortable you feel shy you feel uptight you feel embarrassed you don't really feel good with the people around you so you feel nervous and that sort of prevents you from really letting yourself go and you don't learn and you don't practice and then on the other hand like low effective filter would be that you feel really at, at ease very comfortable you're not really worried about making a fool of yourself which you know is probably why when you've had a few beers you feel a lot better about speaking a foreign language because you know the effective filter has been lowered so this idea that um, you know you can be confident is so important when you're learning a new language because you have to just take risks every sentence that you say is a, is a risk and for me that's like you know I feel really uncomfortable with it because I when I speak I like to uh, control my sentences and if possible I like to be funny I like to twist the language around and make it maybe a little bit more ambiguous and get a few laughs out of it and so in French I try I can't help it I try and be funny it's like it's really weird I don't have the vocabulary or the, the language to do it but I still try and say these things which are funny and like the other people in my class are kind of looking at me kind of go what is he talking about and my teacher said my teacher's great um, she's really good uh, but once I was like trying to say something and she said to me Luke get off your planet so apparently I live on a planet um, um, on, on a different planet uh, planet Luke um, and I, I go there sometimes during French lessons so it's really fun and uh, I'm, I may talk about learning French a lot more in the future um, let's see also I went to see uh, the new Batman movie which has been in cinemas recently it's called Batman uh, the Dark Knight Rises and um, it's very serious oh god it's very it's deeply serious stuff this is 
um, because um, let's see what happens. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give away what happens in the movie. I'm not going to tell you any spoilers. But it's dark and it's very serious. Now um, I like Batman a lot. You know, I, I love the uh, original um, Tim Burton ones with um, um, who was in that. Um, anyway, someone. I can't remember, it's Michael Keaton, that's it, as Batman, and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. I love those, I thought they were, they were brilliant. Um, and the, the new trilogy, uh, I, I really enjoyed Batman Begins, um, where we see, you know, exactly how Batman started, and I think that's really good. The Dark Knight was obviously like a heavyweight film, seriously heavyweight, um, but very serious, although the Joker was kind of fun. And now we've got The Dark Knight Rises, and it's, it's just deadly serious stuff he's batman you know and um no no real jokes or laughter in there just very dark and serious um you know do you think he's ever going to come back i don't know that kind of thing you know um and uh i just feel like the whole thing is really really a bit too serious when you think about that this is uh, a movie about a guy who likes to dress as a bat you know uh, i just think that's a bit funny i'm sure i've, I've mentioned that before but another thing which sort of annoys me, and I might have talked about this before as well, is Batman's voice. Now, obviously, Bruce Wayne, as Bruce Wayne, he's just normal. He speaks like this. Hello, I'm Bruce Wayne. Nice to meet you. Yes, I'm a millionaire. I'm not Batman. No, I'm not. I know it might look like... I, I'm, my chin looks a, very, a, a lot like Batman's chin, you know, and you never see me in the same room together, and I own this huge mansion, and I seem to have endless amounts of money, and I'm the same height as Batman... Um, but no, I'm not Batman. No, I'm Bruce Wayne. That's how Bruce Wayne speaks, okay? Uh, but as Batman, um, he speaks differently, right? He's like, I'm Batman. Right? That's how Batman speaks. Now, why did he feel it was necessary to change his voice, his normal voice, into, I'm Batman? Right? Um, maybe it was to make it more scary. It's possible. Maybe he just wanted to make um, the whole Batman figure more frightening. I, I imagine the first time he went out as Batman to fight some criminals, he probably caught a bank robber or something, and the bank robber was like, who are you? You're some weirdo dressed like a bat. What's going on? Like, who are you? And Bruce, the Batman was probably like, I'm Batman. You know, I'm Batman, aren't I? So stop, you know, stop committing crime, because um, it's bad. So I'm Batman, so stop it, okay? Or I'm going to slap you. Okay, and the robbers were probably like, shut up, see you later, and, you know, ran away. So it didn't have the impact, so he probably decided, hmm, I need to do something with the voice. And so he thought, I know, I'll just, I'll speak like this all the time when I'm Batman. <coughs> I mean, I imagine it probably damages his throat quite a lot. Can you imagine that after maybe being Batman for eight hours? Who are you? I'm, ba <coughs> I'm Batman, all right? I'm Batman. Ooh, scary. Um, so, anyway, I thought, the, I thought the film was all right. It was pretty entertaining, very long. My bum really had a lot of work to do during that movie. I moved around quite a lot. I, I adopted about 364 um, seating positions during the, during the movie because it was so long. You know, I was kind of like standing on my head at one point just because it was more comfortable than every other position I'd already tried. Uh, but generally, I liked the film. I liked it. Um, not as good as the first one. The, the first one's the best, then the second one, then the third one. But they're all strong. They're all, they're all strong. Bit serious, maybe. And I, I'm not sure about his voice. Um, so I think, I think that's all I've got to say. Um, I think that's all I've got to say. Yeah. Um, so let's see, 50 minutes, I think that's probably pretty good length. 
for the podcast. So just to sum up then, won a presentation award at the BC conference. Yeah. Went to Barcelona, had a great time. Uh, did a comedy gig in front of a hundred learners of English and they all really enjoyed it. Went to the Olympics and sort of saw the Olympics and all that and interviewed some people. Um, halfway through getting my kitchen done. It's a bit of a nightmare, but it's going to be okay in the end. The kitchen. Started learning French. It's really difficult, but, you know, it's quite interesting and good fun. So, learning French. Um, uh, yeah, I hung out with my mates and recorded a podcast when we were a bit too drunk, and I'm wondering whether I should upload it, and I've decided to let the listeners vote, and so they can vote by leaving a comment saying, yeah, upload the video, or no, I don't want to hear the drunk idiots, so I'm leaving it up to you, so yeah, your choice. And other stuff that I've been talking about as well. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. And now uh, I'm going to play you the recording of the comedy gig, which I uh, did uh, recently um, at, where was it now? Um, at a pub in uh, Hoburn in central London. So you can listen to that now. I think I might give you a short introduction to it because uh, I believe the recording is not, co it's not complete. It starts after a bit, about a minute after I... I uh, started doing my comedy. So, uh, but that's it for me at this point. So, stay tuned and listen to the comedy show, uh, which uh, you might find enjoyable. You might do. Well, I've no idea. Um, it might help for you to be able to see it. I don't know if some of the jokes are, gonna, are not going to work because you can't see it, but who knows. Hope you enjoy it. That's it for this episode. Thanks very much again for listening. I've been Luke Thompson. I still am. Um, thanks. Good night. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon, uh, whatever it is in your area. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, please visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. How's it going? Woo! Yes. All right. Okay. I'm an English teacher. Right? I'm, I'm English and I'm from London. I was born here. Or well, not here. Of course, it was fun. I was born in London. And um, and we've got we've got the Olympics happening. Any uh, French people here? Sorry, sorry about that. You didn't want it anyway, did you? It's better for you because it's a, it's a nightmare. Can I swear? My In my lessons, I'm like, no, no swearing. I'm not allowed. This, I'm not. I'm not working. I can swear as much as I as I like. I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna hold it off. I'm gonna try not to swear. So. Um, yeah, the Olympics right now, we've got it in London, and everyone's very excited. Very excited. Obviously, by excited, I actually mean not excited. <laughs> it's English indifference. We're like, yeah, the Olympics, get out of my way! <laughs> it's just like the Olympics is in everybody's way. That's basically what it's like in London. It's like, I'm from London, I'm going to work. Get out of the way, Olympics! <laughs> Let me get to work. Because that's what it's like. It's going to be harder, right? It's going to be harder to get to work than it is to run the 100 metres no. at this Olympics. I think they should give you a gold medal if you manage to get to work on time <laughs> during the Olympics, right? That's definitely what they should do. But it's in London. That's it. We've got no choice. It's actually happening now. Um, and uh, so that's interesting. My mind goes blank sometimes just for no apparent reason. A bit like yours. There's a lady there just staring. Hi. <laughs> You can't see her, but I can. I can see all your faces, all the different expressions on your faces. Hello. 
Hello, hello, nice man over there. <laughs> hello, French people over here. Hi. So what was I talking about? The Olympics. That's it. So, sort of throwing things and that, isn't it? Throwing stuff, running, right? I thought we'd worked it out. I thought we'd already gone beyond who can run the fastest. Do we still care? No. We've got bicycles now. We don't need to... All it we've got bicycles and we've got cars. We invented the engine. We invented the, the, con we invented the Concorde. It's not the Concorde. It's just Concorde. But we invented... That can go really fucking fast. Right? Why do we need to know who can run the fastest now? It's not school, is it? And everyone's, worried, everyone's very worried about drugs at the Olympics, you know, drugs. I'm, I'm very worried about it. I'm worried that I won't be able to get any. <laughs> I think that my dealer is going on holiday. It's clever. It's clever. He's like, I'm out of here. Um, so I'm like, oh dear, drugs in sports, what are we going to do? Um, but I think, you know, everyone's worried about the drugs thing, you know, the, the sport-enhancing, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. I think, you know, if it's that difficult to kind of get the drugs out of sport, just fuck it, just let them take the drugs, right? Because I want to see how fast a person really can run. Right? Let's, let's give Usain Bolt as much drugs as he like. I want to see him run so fast that his legs explode and he flies into the sun. Yeah? That's what I want to see. You with me? That would be exciting. Someone's not with me there. You're giving me the English indifference. You're like, I'm like, are you with me? And you're like... Hello. Yeah, you. Hi, I'm just... No, no, you. Hello. Yeah. What's your name? Cecilia. Sorry? Cecilia. 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 I can't, I can't pronounce that. I mean, I, I speak one language and I don't even speak that very well. Hello, anyway. Yeah. Um, so the Olympics, that's cool, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. I think, right, in Britain, we've got the Olympics. It's our chance. This is the British. We haven't won anything for about 100 years, okay? Especially football. <laughs> Because of the P word. Do you know what I mean by the P word? Penalties. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a, yes, too bad for, like for us. Yeah. Uh, they should be like What, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Are you sort of whispering when I turn my back? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, because of the penalties. But I think we have a chance in, in the UK to actually uh, win something this year. Because what we, need, what we should do is that we, we should introduce a few new events into the Olympics that we actually have a chance of winning, right? Um, some new events that the British would be good at. I'm talking about things like the 100 metre queue. <laughs> I think we could, we could win that. Maybe the Japanese would give us a bit of competition. But it would be difficult because we wouldn't put any yellow lines down on the ground. Maybe like, ah. That's what a Japanese person does when they're confused. They've got a little man on their shoulder. Have you noticed that? Just ask a Japanese... Who's the Japanese people? They're you, a Japanese. I remember. See, she's doing it now. Coffee. <laughs> and this guy's going, tea, tea, 
Scottish guy sitting down at the end asking for money, you know? We just put a cash point in the middle of the Olympic Stadium, the Brits would queue up quickly, and we'd install a drunk Scottish homeless man at the end as well, asking for your money. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? And, um, so that's the Olympics, done. I've dealt with the Olympics, okay? <laughs> uh, who likes travelling? You like travelling? Yeah! yeah. We all love travelling. I'm no exception. I love travelling. I, I do as much travelling as I can. Just travelling is fantastic. Isn't no. it? We all love travelling. Yeah? You like travelling? Yeah. Yeah, good. I love travelling too. How many times did I just say the word travelling? Oh. A lot. How much? Eight. Eight. Are you actually counting? <laughs> you know, that's not how you listen. You don't just count all the words, okay, so the, 16, um, traveling, 8, B, 9, uh, okay, got it, understand, just calculate with a calculator, yeah, so 244, okay, I understand the sentence, that's not how you listen, no, anyway, I like traveling, I do a lot of traveling, recently I went around, I traveled around to sort of Asia, visited Japan, because I'm quite big in Japan, <laughs> and uh, visited uh, Vietnam as well, because I'm, I'm quite big in Vietnam uh, too. Popular. Big. Synonym of popular. Just, please trust me. <laughs> and, um, and so I, yeah, I went there and that was fantastic. Vietnam was a fantastic place. I did a lot of uh, flying. A uh, lot of flying by aeroplane while I was on my journeys. And I noticed, right, the pilots are always saying, they're giving the same warning every time now. What's with the pilots and the iPod warning? No. You know what I'm talking about? You might, you might have heard it yourself. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard flight AK-47, bound for Saigon. We're just about to take off now, so you'd like to switch off any MP3 players or iPhones that you might have running, because they can interfere with the navigational systems of the plane. So just switch off your iPods, uh, and we'll get started. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Um, now, I've got a weird feeling that that might be bollocks. Can an iPod actually crash a plane? Well, apparently it can. Woo! I asked you a question, paying attention over here from Argentina. Because um, that's what seems to be the case right now. I thought that they, they carefully designed the plane. Right? They carefully designed it, the 747. It's like, okay, okay guys, uh, we built the 747 and it's, it's awesome, okay? Uh, it flies, no one really knows how it works, but it, it is amazing. And then there'd be one guy at the office going, uh, but sir, um, what about the iPod? <laughs> oh no, we forgot about music! The aeroplane's weak spot. How does it work? Anyway, if, you're, if the pilots are just flying and then... Uh, uh, and then, you know, they'll just be flying, and then, just a normal flight, and then suddenly, what's going on? Someone's playing music. I bought the flight. Because, um, yeah, I don't know how, it, well, I reckon, though, just finally, that uh, the, the, the terrorists should use the iPod. Because it would work for them. Can you imagine that? Imagine some kind of Al-Qaeda meeting somewhere. Okay, 
here is the plan. First of all, we wait for a plane to take off. Then, when they least expect it, we press shuffle all songs. Hmm? Plane skids off runway, explodes in massive fireball, death to the infidel, party time. Thank you very much, you've been a fantastic audience. Woo!